Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle, and as always, I'm your host. So today we have sort of a lighthearted episode. I'm going to be talking with my good friend Corwin, who has been uh, non-monogamous for about eight years now. He and I have had sort of opposite journeys through non-monogamy, whereas I went from ethically non-monogamous to polyamorous. He went from immediately polyamorous to a sort of broader definition of ethical non-monogamy. And when he was first exploring polyamory, there was a show on the air called Polyamory Married and Dating. And it was a reality show that he and his partners ended up watching together and being like, oh, it's okay. We're doing everything right. We aren't these trash bags. And so he basically told me, so this Showtime show is on Amazon. We should watch it together and review it for your podcast and have a lot of fun making fun of these people. If you'd like to pause and go watch the show before we go through it, um, we're talking about, I believe it's episodes one through three on this episode and it's on Amazon Prime if you get the Showtime bonus. And if not, it's wherever you per purchase your Showtime bonus through. Because I, so Hulu also sells one. And uh, pretty sure a couple of the other streaming services do too. Okay, so I've given you a minute to go watch the show. So now, this is me and Corwin having an unreasonably good time talking about reality television that we both kind of hate but kind of love. See you on the other side. I am going to attempt to summarize the events that take place in the wonderful series Polyamory married and dating so this was a series created by showtime several years back and it follows two polyamorous groups and their adventures in california and one group is a tri uh, the center of it is composed of a triad which is clearly open to sexual interactions with others but may or may not be open to romantic connections with others that's left unclear at the outset this triad is composed of Vanessa who if you're watching the show you'll identify as the blonde one, Lindsay, who you'll identify as the brown-haired one, and 
Oh, good Lord, I've forgotten the man's name already. Anthony. I just think of Anthony. And the three of them, Lindsay and Anthony, were married previous, and I suppose still are married at this point, uh, met Vanessa, all fell madly in love, and now all reside together. Lindsay had gone away for a semester to do some academic work and is returning at the outset of episode one. The other group is composed of Kamala, her husband Michael, uh, and they mention several times that they have many several partners, but in these first three episodes, we meet three of them, two of whom are presented as extremely main characters, and one of whom has so far only figured as a drama device. Uh, the two others who are main figures are Tal and his wife, who I think is named Jen. Yes. Perfect. Jen. Tal and Jen, at the very beginning of episode one, are invited by Kamala and Michael to come live in a little sort of cottage space in their backyard uh, to form one household together with the exception of this little bit of private space that they have and to start sort of unifying their lives. The two couples have sort of very different amounts of experience with polyamory. Kamala and Michael appear to have been doing this forever, and Kamala has a lot of theories. Uh, Kamala and Michael have a very sharing-is-caring uh, approach to polyamory for the most part, or Kamala and Michael, rather, and Tal and Jen have uh, a take-things-slower, prioritize-us kind of approach to this. Uh, and I think they mentioned that they've been swinging before, but they haven't been polyamorous very long. So those are the dramatis personae we meet in episode one. And the meeting is essentially Tal and Jen saying, yes, they'd love to move into Kamala and Michael's backyard. Jen being a little hesitant briefly, uh, mostly because she and Tal have some rules that he already doesn't always abide by when it comes to Kamala. And she's concerned that that will get worse if they live in closer proximity. And uh, one of these is that she has what Tal keeps referring to as a curfew. And she keeps just saying as the boundary she's set itself, which is that she doesn't want to fall asleep without him next to her. So she would like him to come back to their shared space to sleep next to her. And he doesn't always want to do that. It's unclear which of these is reality in episode one. 
in episode one, we also have a setup for drama within the triad. It is revealed that Lindsay's uh, lover from her semester away is, in fact, a boyfriend. Uh, and no one at home was informed that this had become emotional and more serious. And Anthony seems a little bit bothered by not having been consulted, but looks ready to sort of take this in stride until Vanessa flips her shit. Uh, she loses it over the idea that the triad isn't being prioritized over all things. Also, I should probably note, Showtime sensationalizes and sexualizes this show to a degree that I don't think I've seen since the first couple episodes of season one of The Tudors, which might have been stars and not Showtime, but I mix them up constantly. Regardless, uh, it is all sex, all the time. Both the quad and the triad are shown nude all together at least three times in the first 30-minute episode while intermittently fighting with their clothes on. So that's episode one. Episode two, we learn that although Lindsay has promised to tell this boyfriend from, from afar, Kristoff, that he is not her real boyfriend boyfriend, but he's sort of her middle school boyfriend and that she's going to back off a little uh, so that she can prioritize Vanessa and the triad. Uh, she has instead just sort of texted him a little less, and so he hasn't gotten the message. He's in town again, and she tries to go meet him in person to tell him these things in person, and her partners don't trust her to have done this and follow her to the coffee shop where they are meeting. Because they do everything together. Everything. And they use this as an excuse. And when Lindsay gets upset, instead of letting her cry on her own or look to Kristoff, who has just been broken up with by not her, uh, for an emotional moment together... Vanessa literally sits on top of her to give her kisses to show emotional support for having just broken up with her boyfriend for her. And then they leave to give them some space. And have wine and celebrate. And once Vanessa comes home, tell her that no, she will Lindsay be grateful for home. this. Or when Lindsay comes home, they tell her that she will be grateful for this pain later. And isn't she lucky that she's even able to do this much? Yes, we will get to the color commentary on how bad this is and some of these details in moments. Uh, in 
the quad world, they sit down to have a discussion about people's boundaries because they are trying to do this right and are trying to respect the person who wants to go the slowest pace and things like this. So they want to have a talk about everyone's expectations, but mostly Jen's because Jen has the most concerns about how living together is going to work. Uh, especially since she and Michael, uh, no, rather, she and Tall previously had a lot more rules, and she and Michael previously had the shakiest relationship out of all of the interrelationships within the quad. Uh, so they want to see where she's at. In the middle of them trying to see where she's at, uh, out of nowhere, Kamala's girlfriend, Roxanne, arrives with a present uh, for her and for the two who have just moved in to, like, welcome them to Kamala's home and family and to steal Kamala away for a few private minutes before she leaves again. This makes Michael explain to the others that he's super jealous and thinks this isn't how polyamory works because polyamory is supposed to be everybody together so a lover you can't share uh, isn't actually a polyamorous lover. It's you having leftover monogamous programming. And Kamala returns from her few minutes away with Roxanne to have both men in the group sort of jump down her throat about this. Uh, and Jen is sitting there like, are you serious? That's the look on her face is just, are you serious? But she also is the one who's the slowest to say anything because she is convinced that she must be the jealous one when these things are going on. And so the reason she is sympathizing with Kamala is that she too must be bad at polyamory at that moment. And the boys are right. They should all be sharing all of their partners, no matter what they want. Episode two ends. <laughs> yep. Episode three uh, is spent with Vanessa deciding that she has to propose to Lindsay and Anthony because otherwise she will never be equal to them. Until they are all spouses, she will always just be the girlfriend and not considered as highly. Then... Uh, the triad goes out and Lindsay sort of crashes and burns at flirting with an old flame because it turns out they're monogamous now. And Anthony spends the night trying to throw her at other men to prove how chill he is about her being with other men so long as she doesn't have feelings for them. And she's just sort of like that wasn't the reaction that i needed but uh thanks i guess 
and Vanessa is just happy that they all get to go home together in a dog pile. Uh, and is a little bit concerned that she's keeping her secret of proposing for too long, but also wants the moment to be right. Uh, the quad side, Kamala has decided that maybe the guys were right, but she doesn't really want to share, but she'll ask if Roxanne also wants that. Because if Roxanne also wants that, she doesn't want to hold anyone back. But it hasn't seemed like Roxanne wants that. So they have a talk. Roxanne pretty much says, well, I'm happy to go on a friend date with your husband. Like, go for some coffee and see if over time any chemistry develops but right now that doesn't seem to be there but i also don't know him that well so i would love to get to know him as part of your family and the end pretty much so these three episodes we're going to take apart they contain every negative trope possible about both of these formats of polyamory i think ever uh they are also glorious terrible wonderful reality television if you were someone who liked the real world or who liked the Jersey Shore and the moments where people fought over who got the smash room like this is for you uh, also if you like the sort of costume dramas where there is a great deal of Henry Cavill's ass you will also enjoy this just for the amount of fan service nudity there is um, but rolling forward, Corwin and I are going to discuss the details of this. So, tell me some of your takes as someone who was in a little triad before it slowly broke down uh, and was in a very healthy place at the time that you watched this show for the first time. What are your takes on this triad's handling of this situation? Okay. So, uh, yeah, this show came out in 2012, which was right about the year I first did non-monogamy, where I sort of fell into a triad uh, in a sort of similar way to the way that the triad between Anthony, Vanessa, and Lindsay started. And um, so, like, I start my journey into this, and one of the first things I see of polyamory in the media is this show in this first season. And I go, okay, <laughs> like, is this a good example or a not really good example? And there were, to their credit, like, maybe 30 seconds of these three episodes that were like, this is what you should do. Uh, but, uh, so one thing that I noticed, uh, about the show is uh, rewatching it for the third time, because I, I love the show. 
whenever I feel bad about my non-monogamy, my polyamory, <laughs> I watch it and I go, at least I'm not that bad. Uh, because this, this is a, a dumpster fire with the train wreck on top. Um, one of the things I noticed is that they're very rule-based. And uh, some rules make sense. And some of the rules that I adopted back when I first saw the show and was like, hey, that makes sense, they still apply. So things like uh, safer sex and informed safer sex, uh, you know, if you have some kind of heads up uh, that you're going to be going on a date, then tell your partner or partners that that's going to be happening. Right. Because surprising they... them with such things as, yeah, they it, do it's not do the, a the best. really good job negotiating safer sex. Like that is one of the few things that they manage to show in these episodes is they mention, well, are you using barriers with these people? I mean, uh, with most of them, it's just everybody use condoms and that's not comprehensive at all, but it's a lot better than nothing. And it's always framed as a question of, are you doing this? Okay, then. Uh, but still, that is a thing there. They do define compersion. They do define jealousy. And we don't have to do that here because we've already aired full episodes on them. Go back and see them, guys. I mean, listen to them. Oh, I'm so bad at that. Onward. Uh, so they do define some of these terms pretty well. They do talk about safer sex. They do talk about checking in before dates and making sure that people know that they're dates and things like that that aren't terrible. Right. What is th your those were, <laughs> th 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 Those are the, the 30 seconds of good stuff. Uh, but their other rules uh, are definitely a little funny. Uh, so one of them, the, when the triads sits down to talk about the whole Kristoff situation, the, the boyfriend from Berkeley, um, they start by reiterating what their rules are. And uh, one of them is that you have to get permission from your partners to go on a date and to to, to do things with somebody outside of their triad. And the next rule is that they have veto power, which is already redundant. Uh, and, and I have many, many thoughts on the idea of veto power in non-monogamous relationships. And permission, I like that that's a really weird one to me because why then have a veto? Uh, but they specifically say it's really not worth pissing off your partner, making your existing partner or partners upset just for a night of fun or, you know, some kind of fun tryst. And then uh, in a sort of one-on-one -on -one with the camera interview, uh, Lindsay actually says like, Kristoff is good enough. I like, he's worth pissing off my existing partners. <laughs> Uh, and so a lot of these rules seem to be set up like a trap. They're meant to be set up not just as a, hey, you did a thing and that upset me, but you did a thing that upset me and you broke a rule to give it that extra weight with the expectation that those rules will be broken, not as guidelines for let's create, like, create healthy guidelines for how we will navigate these situations in our relationship, but as a, like, these are the guardrails, and if you lean over them, we will come down on you for it. Well, right, and 
it seems like the reason they require permission and veto power is to let them sort of take back seize the permission to say oh well i gave you permission to go do the thing but then it turns out that i have different feelings about how that thing went than usual and so i'm gonna veto the whole situation and you have to just stop yeah and it's it's interesting because the quad had a similar thing they did not explicitly say that they have a veto power but uh at the end of the second episode uh, or maybe beginning of the third episode, Kamala is going on a date with Roxanne, and she's going to, as part of this, talk to her about Roxanne and Michael getting together and all of that. But as she's getting ready to go on this date, she specifically says, uh, before I go on a date, I need to do like a final check-in to make sure nobody's upset. And that to sort of, to me, read as that, she's basically going to see if anybody's having a hard time with this particular date. And if they are, there's a possibility that the date will be called off. And from the point of view of, you know, somebody like Roxanne and somebody in Roxanne's situation where she scheduled a date with her partner and she's expecting this date to happen, the possibility of being told, well, my metamorph was upset, so my partner can't come out tonight. Uh, it, it's again that same idea that I really dislike, and I, I, I think that sets up a lot of the stuff that happens later in that. I actually read some of that a little bit differently, in okay. particular in the quad situation, because it didn't sound like she would cancel, but it sounded like she wanted to know what reassurance she was going to have to offer then and later. Because the and that's a much healthier thing to do. Well, right, and it seems to me so far uh, that aside from the tone in which she expresses her feelings for Roxanne, because she really does make it sound like she's a little bit. Uh, heartbroken from having to share everything else in her life so she's clinging to Roxanne as the one thing she doesn't have to share which I don't think is a particularly healthy place for a relationship to be coming from aside from that I think she's the person in the quad with the healthiest take on polyamory she has a lot of opinions I, I that I don't that. agree with but she seems to have the healthiest handle on that. I, I can definitely see that. Um, I think that uh, she, she and Michael are a whole mess of a thing, and uh, their relationship between each other and with polyamory is really interesting to me because I have not seen the I have not seen in person the idea that like once you start dating somebody they're sort of automatically fair game for all of your partners uh, to pursue and like encourage to pursue. And if you have feelings about that, then that's an issue. Uh, but uh, Kamala does seem like she has the most experience uh, mm. at least. And so in my post of the people you'll meet in polyamory, one of the stereotypes that i included is the bait and switch couple the couple where you think you've started dating one of them 
and it turns out that now you're automatically going to be dating or fucking both of them. And that seems who Michael is. Michael is trying to get in on either the person that Kamala is seeing or the other half of a couple where Kamala is seeing one person always. Like, for example, it seems like he and Jen have the most fraught relationship and he wants to fix that mostly because he's not getting as much penetrative sex as he wants with her. And Jen's like, that's just something that I've always considered really, really sensitive and important and I go slow on doing that particularly often with someone so it's hindered the development of my relationship with Michael because he wants that constantly starting from day one and so I have an easier time dealing with Kamala or with my husband where I'm already at that level and and she seems specifically more into Kamala like she mostly right. wants attention from Kamala. I think some of it is that she wants a lot of attention from Kamala and is jealous that her husband is getting the lion's share um, when she knows that Kamala's sen- like sexuality and sensuality are gender fluid. And she wants the same kind of sensual attention from everyone in the group but she doesn't want the same sexual attention from everyone in the group. And no one seems to be respecting those boundaries. Or rather, at least no one isn't trying to push them repeatedly. Except maybe Kamala. It's a little bit hard to tell. Because we get... We get a ton of weird footage of sex on this show, but it's all edited very clearly to be trying to lead us down a specific path. And I have a whole episode coming up about polyamory in the media that will address this further, but the way they present sex on this show as the constant uniting factor in these relationships despite the people's words about it all being about the loving aspect is a really sensationalistic thing that i think is one of those tropes that annoys polyamorous people but that also is kind of in a weird way, goals for people who are entering polyamory for the first time. They want all of the sex to be magical. So I will say that I am one of those people. Uh, And so while I find their portrayal of it annoying, I also identify with parts of that because personally I am somebody that finds meaningful connection through sex as as an important thing. For me, a lot of the interest and a lot of them I move from, uh, well, not from polyamory, but like me stepping out of polyamory and into like the larger realm of non-monogamy has been due to uh, realizing that I connect with people really strongly through sexual connection, 
uh, which does not preclude any other kind of connection, but uh, oftentimes that is a big part of my relationship with uh, some people. And uh, so I, I get that. But at the same time, this is where Michael is really interesting to me because like, he is the person that really makes the show for me. Uh, because I, I highly recommend you watch the show because the visuals, like we're trying to describe it, but the visuals are just really out there. Michael it has a non-blinking shark stare at the camera in a really awkward <laughs> He really way. does. I, I cannot imagine being in the same room as this person naked because it, I would cringe constantly. My body would just seize up and I would drop to the ground. And yet he seems to have multiple partners and he seems to get more and more partners as the show goes on that seem to say all the right things about him. They say he's handsome, he's smart, he's charismatic. And yet you look at him and on TV, he comes off as just incredibly awkward. Um, and, and, and to me, that is just, uh, you know, he's, he's looking for that connection through sex, I don't know if he can connect with people in another way, uh, you know, in an effective way. Also, I think some of it is that, and I think some of it is that the format of staring down a cameraman in a small room is super awkward. And so he gives the full-on let me give you all of my intensity as I try to tell you my feelings about this, but I'm uncomfortable with talking about my feelings unless I've recently been making love with you. He's the only one who comes off well in the, like, post-coital scenes. That's true. Um, At least in the first he, three episodes. I'm going to say this is my first time walking through this show. Like, I've never watched it. Uh, I believe I watched the first half of episode one and said, I don't need to watch this much group sex. It's not even good porn and turned it off. Uh, but walking through it now, I get the impression that he just, like, he's super a product of our culture and that means that he only sort of knows how to connect to people who he's already partnered up with. And without having crossed that boundary, that threshold where he feels connected and his connection method being sex, he doesn't know how to come across well. I assume that he does just fine out in the real world because he holds a job and stuff. They show him holding a job, but it's a job from home. So he works remotely, away from the public, and mostly connects with a lot of his partners. That sounds like an ideal world where they'll all describe him well. Regardless, you're right. He comes off as super awkward and super pushing for other people to do the flirting for him. And I think a lot of that is because he's only good at this after he's been good in bed. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is where I, you know, I, I do wonder sort of what happens behind the scenes because obviously the show is staged in a lot of the scenes. Uh, there's a really, really awkward scene where Michael and Jen go to the store uh, trying to, you know, get stuff. And they're getting like... 
uh, gum and paper towel or something like that. That's what they're driving to the store for. And uh, there's a scene where they, they ask, like, oh, uh, do, we, do we have toilet paper? He goes, yeah, TP, yeah, yeah. We, no, we're good on TP. And it's very clearly, like, the, this is, like, the fifth take, and he's trying to act, and it's not working. Uh, <laughs> but um, well, so I at the was... same time, even the stuff on this... Even the stuff that was on the show was just really awkward. Uh, and th- these are the things they kept in. Well, and some of this is that they're doing multiple takes on a lot of this. And the rest of it, they're going, okay, so we only have time for one take on this. So if you're not having the kind of sex we want to see, we're just cutting to another day where we're filming sex and we're going to make you let us film you having sex every day until we get the take we want. Yep. And so it's people Uh, trying to minimize their awkward and failing. Yes. And uh, Tall is, I think, uh, so I've watched the first and the second season of the show a couple of times now and tall throughout the series is one of my favorite characters uh he seems to be relatively new to polyamory but he has the most chill attitude about it uh while at the same time being very sort of open and embracing of all of this uh, i don't want to say love but definitely attention that he's getting in the, and that he's giving and all of the all of the excitement uh, he seems to have a good balance between being excited about the new things while at the same time not being too intense about them. Yeah. Um, and Jen, in the meantime, is the... Uh, I, I forget who, uh, if she is part of your post of people you'll meet in polyamory, but she's like the stick-in-the-mud person for, of, of the couple. Uh, she wants to step out of her comfort zone just a little bit and then go right back. And everything with her is also rule-based. And uh, there's a specific rule that she had for Tall, which was, if I am upset, I don't want you having sex with anybody else. Not up- I'm upset with you. I'm upset. And this is another one of those trap rules, right? Like This is a rule that is designed for when I know you will break it because of whatever, because deliberately or because of a miscommunication or because something else that I will hold it against you that you broke the rule in addition to making me more upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that one just really stuck out to me as, wow, that is a trap that is being set up from the beginning for this relationship and this new living situation. Right. So there's a lot of sort of inappropriate rule setting and really careful maintenance of inappropriate rule setting. And even Kamala tries to call out some of this inappropriate rule setting or like gently prod at the inappropriate rule setting uh, in the case of this rule about the like, where can you sleep when? And she sort of cringes at the upset rule, but doesn't, we don't get on screen her response to it beyond that. So it's hard to say whether this is something that ever gets addressed and just they cut out it being addressed off screen. So we don't know if these people actually ever manage something sort of healthy at all yet. 
we'll see that in the coming episodes, I think, because you're making a face that tells me that we will. But so far, all we can tell is the triad is doing this for the first time and has a lot of rules instead of respecting people's boundaries. And the quad has Kamala, who knows what a boundary is, the others who use the word boundary to mean rules, and... Michael, who will say neither boundary nor rule in front of the camera because they cut his scenes as much as possible because he didn't make for good TV. At least that's what it is in the first three episodes. He may later make for good TV. Um, he and makes so... for excellent TV. I wish they would included more of him. <laughs> <laughs> He's the and... cherry on top of the train wreck. And so all of this just comes off as a train wreck that some people didn't know what they were getting into. And informed polyamory should really be the opposite of this in many ways. It's not that you can't be in a triad or a quad in a healthy way. It's that you have to be prepared to discuss your boundaries and what you'll do if something happens. Things have to be sort of if-then statements. And on top of that, they shouldn't be punishing <laughs> Uh, and something like you have to get permission and if you don't it's a veto and you can never see the person again which the triad sort of sets up as two separate rules but clearly applies in that fashion in the case of Kristoff or we can only do this if no one has feelings not if you develop feelings, we have to have X, Y, and Z conversations before we figure out what happens. Instead, it's if you have any feelings, you must break up with this person rule. Not if you choose not to break up with this person after developed feelings, I will, whatever they will. Which I mean might be break up with you. Because clearly all the members of the triad are so invested in each other that they might actually have a breakup over one of their partners choosing to leave. It's certainly happened in the real world that sometimes people leave a triad or a triad goes, we can't still be with you if you're with this other person. Uh, I don't think it's the best way to handle conflict, but it's existed. Yeah. And it seems like this show, because they want to create drama, highlights all the worst aspects of these people. Like, Vanessa in the triad is mean, to her partner who she says she loves. Lindsay is either 
really sensitive to the needs of her boyfriend partner or is, as Vanessa argues, a coward because she waits until she can see him in person to break up with him or downgrade their relationship or whatever it is that she's going to do in response to the triad's request that she back down, which is a very random way of phrasing something. I don't know how you back down from feelings. Uh, but regardless, they show those sort of worst sides of them. Anthony, instead of being sensitive to the pain Lindsay is in, goes, I've got to prove that this isn't a one-penis policy. Let me find you some D. Like, <laughs> it's not... Yeah. It shows the worst side of each of them to form as much drama as possible as opposed to trying to educate about polyamory for more than 35 seconds an episode. Um, I, I disagree with you slightly. I do think that they did try to show off the good sides. Uh, they do talk... Uh, I, I was actually surprised re-watching it in, when they do talk about like the growth that they've gone through and the affection they have for each other and the way that their relationships transformed and the misconceptions people might have had about them versus the reality of it. Um, the, it's definitely outweighed by the negatives, the, the, you know, the moments when they're just frankly being shitty to each other. And I think that is pretty representative uh, because they they seem to want to show both extremes of it. They want to show the really shitty stuff and the really good stuff, and the really good stuff just does not outweigh. It's not as good as you know as the shitty stuff is shitty. And it's not surprising because the triad does seem to be brand new to it, and most triads that are like this is your first poly relationship. Hi, that was me. Uh, I had like cringe worthy moments I could fill a book with. Uh, so I'm I'm not saying that like you know doing everything perfectly. The difference is, you know, do do it repeatedly or do it once and go. Wow, that was terrible. Let's not do that again. Uh, right. I think part of it is just that they're new to some of these situations and so they're figuring them out. But it really feels like screen time wise, the scare quotes good things that they're presenting are almost all sexual and then a token I love you thrown in at the end. That is fair. And so if we're trying to present polyamory as something that is complex and emotional, this show... This show does do that, but only in the sense that it presents it as negatively complex and emotional. It's too complex. Your family won't understand. In episode three, Jen goes out with her sister, and her sister's like, nah, you're living in somebody's converted garage, and everyone thinks you're a slut now. I don't understand. Like, those are almost her exact words that's a very close parallel. those are her exact no she, she repeatedly calls uh, jen a slut and jen uh, 
to her credit, goes, what does that even mean? I like having sex with people and I have sex with more than one person. What is wrong with that? And the answer is there isn't anything wrong with that. Um, Well, right. And I think that since like whatever year it is that they released this 2012, I think, uh, there has been additional movement forward to sort of reclaim negative words from around sex. And in that sense, some of this reads as sillier than it was then. But there's still a lot of misconceptions around polyamory and a lot of sort of drive to go, well, culturally, we understand cheating and swinging. So let's show it be as close to cheating or swinging as possible. Right. I I think the the biggest thing with the show is that it shows all of the sort of terrible things that these people do to each other, all the terrible ways they treat each other during conflict, during periods of time where somebody has lots of strong feelings and they present it as, well, this is polyamory. This is what happens. So the scene where, uh, Anthony and Vanessa hunt down Kristoff and Lindsay and figure out where they are and right off on the, uh, you know, on the little scooter that Anthony drives around and they roll in there and they're like, we do everything together. So we're going to do this breakup together. Uh, that to me is the, that was the moment in that first episode where I go, oh, this is a shit show. I'm going to keep watching. <laughs> Right, right. That's the episode where you go, this is wonderful reality TV, even though it's terrible representation. Uh, And so, for me, that was the moment where I went, oh, this is the right kind of terrible. This is my real housewives. I'm here for it. Because I personally don't love the Real Housewives, but my sister, who I live with, does. And so I'm exposed to a lot of Real Housewives. And I can tell you, this became my equivalent of her needing to watch that when it's on. Uh, When we got to that moment where they rolled up to the coffee shop that they'd obviously been given the name of by the producers with the flimsy excuse of there's only so many places they could be doing this in this giant college town that probably has more coffee shops than like my small city has restaurants and (laughs) they did all of this just to make their partner's life harder and from as they put it a complete lack of trust in her yeah the the setup for this was that they talked to Lindsay and made an agreement that she would back off from Kristoff they didn't really define what that means they didn't talk about like well what does that look like Uh, And really the solution to the situation that I would have proposed uh, were I in that situation is more like, hey, Lindsay, you're paying a lot of attention to Kristoff. Can you put similar amounts of effort to paying attention to Vanessa? Because really that's where the breakdown is. Anthony seems like he's more upset that Lindsay's not paying attention to Vanessa than than by anything else. 
He's more annoyed that his girlfriend is mad at his wife than in any way mad at his wife. And it seems like he's a little bit hurt that she didn't talk to him about the label before she, like, applied it to her relationship. But now that it's there, he's not upset about it. He's upset about Vanessa's reaction making his life difficult because he sleeps between them. Uh. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and so so they they make this agreement, and this is one of those situations where like three people agree on something, but really two of them pushed a decision onto a third, and the third just didn't say fuck no. The third said, "I guess so. I don't have a good argument against what you're saying because we've boxed ourselves in with these rules that are very strongly worded." And, you know, as long as I play inside the sandbox of these rules, everything is uh, all good. But as soon as I step outside of it, basically, everything is my fault. And so they push this decision on Lindsay and then don't trust her to actually, like, act on that decision. Right, because uh, they so know they that decide they to hit the road. Into it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they hit the road uh, and they very dramatically walk into the coffee shop. They don't slow down. They're like, oh, well, look at who's here. Uh, they've never met Kristoff, as far as I understand. They've never, like, really seen him. Uh, or at least that's the way the, the show makes it seem. So, like, they don't have a relationship with him. Right. Um, it seems like they've heard of him, but they've never seen him. Or he's been in the background and waved at the end of a video call, but that's it. Yeah, and so they say, look, we do everything together. We do everything as a family, so we're going to have this conversation as a family. Did she tell you that you guys are going to have a conversation? And I'm just imagining like rolling up to my partner's date, uh, you know, on a little scooter and being like, Hey, you two are going to have a conversation. I'm here to make sure it happens. (laughs) Like the amount of insanity that is, that goes into that. uh, I, I cannot fathom. Right. I feel like, if I were someone who had built a relationship with someone who portrayed their triad at home as sane and healthy, and I'd gone into it anticipating that I would meet their partners and it would be pleasant and fun, and instead my first meeting with their partners was their partners coming in to tell me I was getting broken up with or downgraded or both it's unclear before they walk away i would lose my shit and i think there's a reason the cameras cut away before she and Kristoff have their actual conversation and it's probably because either they had a very different conversation and that's going to be further drama later or because he lost his ship very quietly. He's like the yeah. couple of my friends who go, I am so upset by this. But I am one of those dudes who don't cry in public, who will not yell at you in a coffee shop. So I'm just going to use the words, I am so fucking upset with you. Over and over and over again. And you're going to tell me you're sorry a hundred times. And I'm going to feel bad that you're crying, but not that bad. 
and then you're gonna go home <laughs> like yeah well so this is where i wonder like they make Kristoff come off as the victim here and from the point of the show does uh of course uh vanessa and anthony uh say no no, no. he he's a questionable character and Lindsay's the one that's really screwed this up uh but right. the show Lindsay's makes it seem the like perpetrator against all of them Right. And, and so, Laura, what I wonder is, do you think that Kristoff could have done something differently here? Like, if he had reached out to Anthony and Vanessa, do you think it would have changed anything? It's no one's job unless they're told to, to mind read no, of course that they need to communicate with someone's partners. So, I'm going to be honest. I'm one of those people who... I don't give a shit who you are until I know I'm well past the area where a relationship is a fling. If someone is in my area for five months to do a semester away and then is moving back to their other home three and a half or four hours away or whatever it is, I wouldn't assume that that was ever not going to be a fling. Like, I'd be happy well, to see them from, for lunch when I go up to their town. But I'm not assuming that we're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend forever. And it seems like she was trying just as hard to make that happen as he was. And so if she just said at lunch with him, hey, look, we've got to cut some of the phone calls and shit back down... I've been texting less because I think that's got to happen. If I were him, I wouldn't actually be that upset by that. We had what we had while you lived there. It's hard to read him. I got my reading on the parts of the show of him uh, and and his relationship with Lindsay was that they were trying to actually like form a long-term, long-distance thing. Uh, But you know, just as a theoretical exploration of what could have, would have, should have happened. I am wondering, like, did that relationship ever have the ability to, like, did it have the potential to go in a different direction? Or was it always just going to converge to this kind of breakup uh, that was forced on them? Uh, You know, and that was an interesting thing for me in terms of, like, uh, could Lindsay have done something different? Could Kristoff have done something different? Lindsay could absolutely have done several things differently. Lindsay could have said, hey, this guy is getting important to me. I'd like you guys to have a video call with him a couple of times before I come home because I'd like to try to keep up a close friendship with him that involves video calls that you'll be home for. And every once in a while, a like flirty video call that you're not in the room for. So I want you to get to know him before I leave there so that we can keep doing that after I leave there. Right, she shouldn't decide to start using the word boyfriend a month before she left there. And they're upset because she didn't mention it for six weeks, right? So she could have mentioned it. She could have, instead of even mentioning it, saying, I'm getting closer to that point, tell him, hey, I can't use this label yet just because it means a lot of expectations to me and I need some space on it. And that might really bother him. 
it really bothered me when my partner of four years said it to me. But four months later, he was ready to use that term, and now it's been four years. Um, so she could have done all of those things to sort of pave a path for that. And if Vanessa was really upset, she could have been really upset at Lindsay before Lindsay got Kristoff's hopes up. Right? Lindsay is the hinge between the two groups. A lot of this is her responsibility because no one else could have read her mind on where she was with the other relationship. Mm. And so she did clearly miscommunicate some of this to both sides. Plus, I think she realized she was boxing her in on the side of the triad or knowing that Vanessa is a flip out personality and that she'd object to the word because girlfriend is her term so it would have to be they'd have to find a different term for her before anyone else could be boyfriend or girlfriend and they seem to use lover for everyone so it would have to be they'd have to find an in-between term like paramour or something and i think all of that is sort of semantic concerns that become emotionally important but it was Lindsay's job to start those conversations when conversations about labels started with Kristoff and to start the process of them meeting him by video chat or whatever instead of him being a name they heard once in a while that they expected would disappear when she came home. And so, essentially, I think Lindsay was the one who messed up the initial communication and her partners in the triad are the ones who messed up the over-application of rules to a situation where their partner clearly had feelings that they weren't sensitive to because of their own feelings or because the intersection of the two people's feelings is causing you inconvenience. Yeah, I'm going to drag out my soapbox here for a second because uh, one of my sort of guiding principles when it comes to non-monogamy is that uh, different relationships that I form with different people should ideally affect each other the least amount possible. So if I form a relationship with person A and then start forming a relationship with person B, the second relationship should not affect the first like the same way that uh, Vanessa and Anthony's affected uh, Lindsay's and Kristoff's and vice versa. So new relationships and existing relationships shouldn't take priority in terms of defining uh, like one metamorph should not be defining the other one's relationship uh, as much as possible. Now there's realities to this. Like if you live with one partner and you're going on a date with another, right. that she is a practical reality of things. There's logistics. There is logistics, but uh, in terms of defining your relationships, uh, I believe that everybody should have the freedom to define their labels, their relationships. And it's not a, let's have a conversation if you're allowed to call this person your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your whatever. It's a, hey, I had a conversation with my partner and I'm just letting you know that we've moved on to this label. 
And if you have concerns about it, we can talk about what that means, because really the concern was the, the actual, con the, the legitimate concern that Vanessa had came down to Lindsay doesn't text me enough during any given day. It had nothing to do with labels. Look, I agree with you in my life and in real life. When I'm giving people advice, I say what you're saying. Vanessa's concern was clearly double because they spend all of episode three going over her hurt over being just a girlfriend when the others are husband and wife, even though they cohabit. So I think a lot of that was sitting at the root of what she was feeling and she didn't figure it out for a little while. Um, and regardless, I think Lindsay is still the one who failed to communicate that changes had occurred. And having a rule about updating your nesting partners about changes occurring, although not the way I would go or certainly not implemented the way I would implement them if I had them, is a legitimate thing for the live-in triad to have done or to have had. They clearly overapply them. Is no one sits with their feelings for even 45 seconds before flipping out over anything. And their second biggest problem is that they've boxed themselves in so tight with rules that none of them can build additional relationships. And I think that's intentional. But I think that Lindsay was never on board with that intention she just was deep in NRE when they set the rules. Vanessa does have an additional partner, though. Right, um, but Vanessa's partner, as she describes him, is a friend who she once in a while fucks. That's true. That's true. And so and this is where that's allowed for all of them. I, I think this is, uh, to me, part of this is uh, like one of the ways that Lindsay messed up the initial situation was that. Yes, she should have been free to call her new partner whatever label and define that with her partner because that is a thing between the two of them while being mindful of her existing relationships and those people's feelings. But also, yeah, that, that is the time that you inform your existing partners. You don't wait weeks to tell them and really tell them when it is brought up by them and not by you. It's not a, hey, I need to have a conversation with you. I'm getting serious with this new person. We've actually talked about labels and this is what we came up with. He's important to me and I'd love for you guys to get to know him. It was a, like, she seems to know that Vanessa would have a strong reaction and so she wanted to avoid the conflict. And avoiding the conflict is one of the ways you get in these situations. Right. So... Let's each get in sort of one final note about these three episodes and what we loved or hated about them. And then let's wrap this up because we've already recorded more than double what I can include in a reasonable length episode. Um, so for me, the biggest negative thing that came out of these three episodes is that polyamory is essentially all about sex, but people say the phrase, I love you a lot. And the best thing about it is that they did take a minute to show the quad 
actually talking about each other's discomforts and boundaries in episode two, as opposed to episode one, where they're sort of glossed over as they just go, oh, well, we are moving in together, which clearly is because they had predetermined it and they just had to film the conversation for the production team. I thought the episode two, sitting down and trying to have a discussion about it, was really good until they interrupted it and sidetracked it with Roxanne's arrival and departure. Yeah. Uh, so the, the whole situation with Roxanne was uh, one of the other interesting things to me, both a really, like there were some good highlights there and some really, really terrible ones. And the conversation that Michael has with Kamala, where he's, for, he starts by essentially recruiting Tall and Jen to be the background people uh, for his speech about this, because they pretty clearly say they don't really care uh, that Kamala is dating Roxanne. Jen explicitly says it, and Tall basically seems to imply it, uh, where he's like, yeah, I mean, I could take it or leave it. It's great. And Michael is the one that really wants to get in Roxanne's pants. And he accuses Kamala of, this is monogamous. This sounds to me like you're breaking the rules of polyamory. And um, I have yet to find like a written set of rules about what polyamory is. It's because they don't. It's choose your own adventure relationships. Right. And, and so Michael really builds up his case. He says, I have people on my side. I have rules on my side that were handed down from, you know, whatever mountain polyamory rules are handed down from. And he says, you know, look, you're breaking those rules. And the surprising thing is it gets to Kamala. Like she does not seem to push back and say, you know, look, I, you're like, there's, there's no rules. Uh, she seems to go, Oh no, am I monogamous? I'm going to react out of trying to compensate for that behavior to try to be extra polyamorous, um, which is like a, a, at the same time, a very human moment. Uh, once you've been through some of these kinds of interactions in the poly world and the non-monogamous world, but at the same time, the first time you see it, you go, oh no, there are rules I'm supposed to know <laughs> and I'm supposed to follow them. And if I break them, people will have these kinds of conversations with me. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, the whole series of interactions is a little bit cringy. And I think Roxanne is the person who handles it the best. By going, Absolutely. okay, but make it clear that I'm not going for some getting down. I'm going to get to know him better because as of right now, I don't have any chemistry in particular. And she leaves it open because she seems like a generally open person and they reference she's got another boyfriend and whatever. But she makes it clear that she's not jumping in bed with just anyone because her girlfriend is seeing them. She knows that there aren't poly rules about this, even if Kamala is having a moment of insecurity or discomfort that is making her go, oh my God, is that true? Did I miss a memo? So in general, I think that you and I are agreed that this show is glorious reality television and terrible representation in terms of 
how to do things ideally. But nothing that happens isn't something that might not happen at some point. You might have a partner get mad at you for a really irrational rule that you agreed to while you had NRE goggles on. You might have a partner say, well, you're pollying wrong. You might be insecure and feel that that moment is true and try to make amends with them by doing what they want. You might not do any of that. You might have to argue a little bit with your sister about whether or not you're a slut. You might like what you end up with when you move in with a partner, or you might feel a little bit less than when you move in with a partner because they're husband and wife and you aren't. All of those things are pretty real. All of those things are pretty real, but the way they cut them together on this show is great early 2010s reality TV, and te- which we've got to admit was a golden age for reality television, but it's pretty terrible community representation. It's about as tabloid as you can get. So Corwin and I had an enormous amount of fun uh, recording that little teardown of uh, the excellent example of reality television and terrible example of community representation that is uh, polyamory married and dating from 2012 so that's season one episodes one through three if you'd like to watch along with us and if folks enjoyed this and let me know we can always uh in chunks finish up the season for you corwin is the owner and operator of Upline Rope Studio, which you can find a link to in the notes. And uh, you can, of course, always find me at the Ready for Polyamory blog, www.readyforpolyamory.com, as well as our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory, and the Ko-Fi, www.ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. And our intro and outro music, as always, is brought to you by Vince Conaway. Um, thanks for bearing with our overexcitement, and I hope you have a lovely weekend. Mm-hmm.